Good morning. It is great to be with you here this morning. It is May the 6th, and I look at my little sheet here and it says the deadline for submission of our elder recommendation form is May the 6th. So if you haven't yet turned in your elder recommendation form, you need to do that today. Um, you put it in the green box that's at the very back of the auditorium or help, uh, hand it to one of the existing elders. If you don't have a form, you can find some forms back by the box at the back. But please make sure that you do that today if you haven't already done so. And I know a lot of you already have. Um, I want to ask all the Journeyland kids to come up to the front. And some Journeyland Wranglers perhaps could come along with them and help us out. So if you're in Journeyland, come up to the front. We're going to do your memory verse here in front of everybody this morning. Don't be bashful. Come on up to the front. We haven't done this before, as you can tell. They're nervous. They're not sure about it, but it's going to be great. So the Journeyland kids have been working very hard on their memory verse for this quarter. They have it down. They know what they're doing. That's all right. Up here is fine. Yeah. Come on up here. Guys, line up here. They want to share their memory verse with all of you so that you can know what they've been working on this quarter as they study Jesus Christ. So you guys ready? What is your memory verse? Where does it come from? That's not going to work louder than that. John 1, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was God. What do you guys think? Let's start it over again. Let's do it one more time. Do it one more time for me. In the beginning... Good. Thank you. Okay, you guys can go sit down now unless one of you wants to preach. No volunteers. Well, this morning we are going to be back in the book of Romans. And this time, our time in Romans is going to look a little bit different from our previous weeks as we've been studying Paul's letter to the church in Rome. And the reason it's going to look a little bit different is because our primary text this morning is a different type of text. It's also going to look a little bit different because it's only three verses, three fairly short verses in our Bibles that we will be focused on. And it's also going to be different because we're going to kind of take a pause here. We're going to take a pause from all of the heavy lifting we've been doing with Paul's theology. And we're going to do exactly what Paul does at the end of chapter 11. We're going to pause for worship and praise. But to get us started, we're going to have a pop quiz. So make sure you pull out your outline. You can find the quiz questions on there. It's just 110 questions. It's over uh, the first 11 chapters of Romans. It won't take us but like two hours to do it. And I promise to grade on a curve So get ready. No, really, it's just two questions. Um, It's multiple choice, and I'm pretty confident that everybody's going to get an A on this quiz. So question number one, what is theology? Is it A, the study of the Holy Spirit? Is it B, the study of God? Is it C, the study of end times? Or is it D, a word preachers use to try to sound smart? 
So mark your answer for question number one. Okay, ready for question number two? What is doxology? Is it A, the study of the church? Is it B, the study of the mission of the church? Is it C, an expression of praise to God? Or is it D, a word that preachers use to try to sound smart? Okay, so mark your answer there, and now let's grade our quizzes. You get to grade your own quiz. That's why I'm sure everybody's going to get an A. Uh, question to number one, the answer to question number one is, shout it out. B and D. B and D, that is correct. That's one of the qualifications of an elder, apparently, as you know the answers. It's B and D. Okay, theology is the study of God, and it's also a word that preachers use to try to sound smart. Question number two, what is doxology? Shout it out. What's your answer? C and D, correct, okay. Doxology is an expression of praise to God, and it's also a word preachers use to try and sound smart, okay. So, theology is the study of God, and doxology is an expression of praise to God. Now, a third question that's not on your sheet. What does this have to do with anything? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Yesterday, several of us returned from four days in Malibu, California, at the Pepperdine Bible Lectures, or as they call it now, Harbor. I want you to know that those four days were really rough on me as I was overlooking the Pacific Ocean in Malibu, California. But those are the kind of sacrifices I'm willing to make for you guys. So I hope you appreciate that. And when you're at the lectures, one of the things, there's lots of different classes, but every day there are several keynote lectures. And at each keynote lecture, there is theology and doxology. There's preaching and teaching And that comes from God's word, and there are gifted theologians who are doing that. And there's also time of worship and time of praise, time of doxology. That's led by gifted doxologists, which I'm pretty sure isn't a word, but we're going to use it anyway. Most people might call them worship leaders. And as we're in those keynote gatherings and theology and doxology is going on, it's really kind of interesting to observe the crowd So most of the people there are fully engaged with both. They're fully engaged in theology and doxology, the lecture, the sermon, and the songs of praise. But there are a couple of other groups that are there that aren't quite as engaged with both. There are some people there who obviously would like more theology and less doxology. They're the ones who are there, they have their their notebooks already open, they have their pen in hand, they're ready to take notes, they have their Bible sitting beside them, they often show up much uh, much later than the singing has actually started, and oftentimes they leave before the singing starts again, they are really interested in the theology, and they really wish there was a little less doxology. Those are the head people, right? Those are the thinkers, the analytics They resonate with theology. They're moved by knowledge and they're moved by reason. Then there's another group of people. Those are the heart people. They kind of tolerate the theology. But as the lesson's going on, they're checking their watches pretty frequently. Their gaze is kind of going around the room. Their eyes sometimes even glaze over 
during the theology. But once the doxology begins, they come alive again. They're the people who resonate with worship. They're moved by emotion. There's head people and heart people. We know that, right? Many of us are in one camp or the other. Most of us are somewhere in the middle, but we understand how that works. There are head people and there are heart people. So who has it right? The theology fans or the doxology fans? The head people or the heart people? Well, what Paul is going to teach us is that they're both right. And they're both wrong. You see, after 11 chapters of focusing primarily on who God is and what God has done through Jesus Christ, after 11 heavy chapters of mostly theology in this letter to the Romans, Paul's now going to do something that may surprise you. Paul's going to, in effect, break out into spontaneous worship. I like to think of Paul sitting there with pen in hand as he writes this letter to the church in Rome. And he's passionately sharing with the Christians there about who God is and what God has done for them. And finally, he just can't take it anymore. See, the reality of that knowledge, the reality of the knowledge of who God is and what God has done for us is just so great that he just has to pause. And he has to worship that same God. And what Paul is teaching us here. Is that the study of God, the theology, using our heads, should always turn our hearts to praise. The study of God should always turn our hearts to worship. See, doxology should always flow out of theology. We should never learn about God without stopping to worship God. And the more we know about God, the more we should be worshiping. The two should never be separated. Never be separated. See, if they're separated and we only engage in theology, if we only study, 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 well, then we become dry academics. We're people who know all about God, but we don't ever truly come to know God in relationship with God. And if all we do is just engage in doxology, it's easy for us to become empty worshipers, pouring out our empty words to a God that we really don't know anything about. It's dangerous to separate the two. And it's also dangerous if we value one over the other. It's dangerous for head people to look down on the heart people. And it's dangerous for the heart people to feel superior to the head people. See, the truth is we need each other. We need heart people to lead us from theology into doxology. And we need head people to ground our worship, ground our doxology in good theology. And since we need each other, it's important that we approach each other in humility The head people need the heart people. The heart people need the head people. We need each other. And since we need each other, and when we recognize our need for each other, we approach each other humbly. And just as we approach each other humbly, we should also approach theology 
and doxology with humility. See, here's the truth of the matter. Our God is so great that even the greatest theologians among us can't fully understand God. There's no way. Our God is so great, none of us can fully understand him. And that should bring humility. And our God is so great that even the most gifted doxologists among us can't fully communicate our feelings about God. We just can't do it. Our words aren't adequate. So we're all in the same boat. See, just as we can never fully understand God, we can never fully communicate our feelings about God. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. We should try to understand God to the best of our ability. We should all be engaged in theology, learning who God is and what he's done. Just because we can't do it fully, it doesn't mean we shouldn't try to express our feelings in the best way that we can about God. We should all engage in worship, in doxology. So today I want to try to help us in that journey, our journey into Paul's theology. And also take us from theology to doxology. I want us to move with the Apostle Paul as he takes that same journey. As he takes the journey in the book of Romans. So we're going to start out by doing kind of a Paul's greatest hits in the first few chapters of Romans. We're going to look at Paul's theology about God as he tells us who God is and what God has done for us. And then we're going to listen to Paul as he breaks out into worship. We're going to listen to Paul's doxology. And then we're going to look at some other great passages of worship in the Bible Because when we see who God is and when we see what God has done, we must worship our God. So we start out in Romans chapter 1. This is familiar to us because we've repeated it many times. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And once more, I want to ask you to repeat that. After me, as we engage in theology together. So repeat after me I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. In Romans chapter 2, Paul writes A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor a circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. So repeat this after me. True circumcision is circumcision of the heart. Yeah, guys haven't said that one before. Let's try it again. You can do better. I know you can. True circumcision is circumcision of the heart. You guys are great theologians. Romans chapter 3. Paul writes, But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Repeat this after me. Righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. 
And in Romans chapter 4, Paul says, The promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Repeat this after me. Abraham is the father of us all. And then Romans chapter 5, you'll remember Paul wrote, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So repeat that after me. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then in Romans chapter 6, Paul said, Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Repeat this after me. All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. And then in Romans chapter 7, Paul said, Oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So repeat this after me. God will rescue us. And then in Romans chapter 8, Paul said, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but live according to to the Spirit. Repeat this after me. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Later on in Romans chapter 8, Paul said, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers... will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So repeat this after me. Nothing in all creation creation will be able to separate us us from the love of God God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Lord. See, that's good theology. That's who our God is is that's what our God has done for us and after 11 chapters of that what does Paul do where does that theology lead Paul where does it lead us well it leads to doxology it leads to worship when we recognize who God is and what he's done we must move to worship. So Paul in Romans chapter 11, 
beginning in verse 33, says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? What's ever been given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. You see how that works? Theology leads to doxology. Knowledge about God and about what God has done leads to worship of the God who did those things. Learning the truth about God leads to true worship of God. Learning the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God leads to praise of God. You see, true worship can't be removed from the truth. It can't be divorced from the truth. God, as revealed in the Bible, must be the center of our praise, must be the center of our worship. Good theology leads to good doxology. But even though theology comes first, it's not elevated above doxology. See, all teaching, all study of the truth should include praise and worship. We study the truth to see God in all his glory. And when we see his glory, we should allow ourselves to feel his power. And when we see God's glory and when we feel his power, worship must follow. That's what we were made for. It should naturally follow. And that's why our study and our worship should be God-focused and God-centered. Not ever us-focused and us-centered. See, when we focus on theology that lifts God up, that exalts our God, that's when we find our greatest joy. When we focus on who God is, we're able to find joy even in our own weaknesses in our impotence, in our complete dependence. We're able to find joy and we're able to worship when we see the power and the ability and the faithfulness of our God. See, true worship lifts God up because only God can lift us up. In Paul's words, for from him and through him and to him, are all things. And thanks be to God, we don't need to understand everything in order to be able to praise the one who does understand all. So, brothers and sisters, we continue to study and we continue to learn, but we also continue to praise God for all that he has revealed. We also praise him that there's so much more about our God that he hasn't revealed. As Paul says, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths are beyond tracing out. See, we may not be able to understand everything about God, but 
we're still able to marvel at him. As Paul says, to God be the glory forever. Amen. So, like Paul, we're pausing in our study of God to praise God. Out of Psalm 72. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. From First Chronicles. We read that David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. From Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then from 1 Timothy. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Then later in 1 Timothy. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Then from Revelation chapter 4. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. And day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are mighty. Father, your wisdom, your knowledge, your judgments are beyond our understanding, beyond our tracing out. Father, you have provided for us in ways we don't understand. Father, you sent your son to us for reasons we can't fully grasp. Father, you are worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. Father, give us a hunger to know more about you, to know more about what you've done for us, a a hunger to be obedient to you but also a burning within us, Father, to worship you because you are worthy of all worship. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Right now, I want to give you our next uncomfortable challenge. It's uncomfortable challenge number 19. It's a doxology challenge. 
What I challenge you to do is each day this week, pray the prayer of praise that you'll find in these selected verses. So quickly write these down. Um, I'll also be sending them out in the email or pull out your phone and take a picture, whatever you need to do in order to have these. So Monday, pray the prayer that you'll find in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. On Tuesday, pray the prayer that you'll find in Psalm 72, verses 18 and 19. On Wednesday, pray the prayer that you'll find in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. On Thursday, pray the prayer that you'll find in 1 Timothy 1.17. Friday, pray the prayer of praise that you'll find in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. And on Saturday, pray the prayer that you'll find in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. Take the doxology challenge. Praise God throughout this coming week. As we end, I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to read from Revelation chapter 5, one more passage of doxology, one more passage of praise, and then we'll sing a song of praise together. Revelation chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. John writes, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Let's worship the Lamb. Say your